0: think it's healthier funding than traditional venture because you financially healthy in that you you close your month how much did you spend you you asked for that money whereas venture you get this big pot you got to spend it and it's kind of feast and famine mode oh. and you, you
1: know oh so the, the grants are actually allocated sort of month by month based right. on your expenses up to a certain amount
0: you only p- withdraw it after you've spent it
1: Oh, interesting!
0: And, and there's another way to do it. To me, that's the easier, cleaner way. Yeah, is there are a lot of the requirements that just
1: assuming you have the cash, some right. cash already to float all of right. your expenses. Yeah. Hello again and welcome. I'm Eric Jorgensen. I don't know much, but I have some very smart friends who help me figure things out. And if you listen to this podcast, then no matter who, where, or when you are, you do too. This show explores technology, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you and the rest of humanity create a broader, more abundant future. This podcast is one of a few projects I work on to read my book, blog, newsletter, or invest alongside us in early stage tech companies. Please visit ejorgensen.com. Today, my guest is my friend Maria Flynn. Maria was previously the CEO of Orbis Biosciences, a nanotech drug delivery company, uh, which was recently acquired, which is a very interesting story. She provides coaching to several early-stage startup founders and CEOs through networks like Techstars, Pipeline, and directly herself as a board member. And in this episode, we talk about Maria's story, uh, how she got involved in Orbis Biosciences very early on through Techstars, now how she supports founders specifically in getting grant funding, which is non-dilutive, so financially favorable for founders and investors, and positioning companies for acquisition. She's got a wealth of experience here in If you're a founder looking for alternative funding sources or planning for an acquisition now or very long term, Maria took 10 years to plan her acquisition, Maria has plenty of advice for you. And before we get to our conversation, I want to quickly tell you about another podcast. I am a super fan of the Founders Podcast. It is my most listened to podcast, my friend David Senra runs it he is absolutely a biography reading machine he's read hundreds of founders biographies from all across history and this podcast is him talking through his notes quotes and key insights from each book you may have heard previously that it was a paid podcast it is now ad based you can find founders for free in full episodes on any podcast listener that you use so search founders find the podcast with the white script on the black background Pick an episode that sounds interesting and dive in they are all good and no matter what you want to learn more about what kind of company you're building what era of history you're interested in there will be something there for you he has a superpower of connecting stories between people like steve jobs and charlie munger and Estee Lauder and billionaire founders you've never heard of. It's absolutely an education unto itself that has changed lives. And I love, love, love learning from it. It's very hard to find time to read all the biographies that you want to in daily life. So getting David's high quality recaps in one to two hours is the next best thing. Episodes I personally recommend, Ed Thorpe, Estee Lauder is truly a great one. And I've loved everything that he has done um, about Steve Jobs because he's a Steve Jobs super fan. You can learn a lot by going back through that whole history and getting an overview through all of the books. Highly recommend Founders Podcast. Thank you, David, for sponsoring this podcast. Another sponsor for today is GiveWell. Just in time for the year-end tax-deductible donation season, when you give to charity, You really want to know how much impact your donation will have. Not all nonprofits are created equal, and most charities, it's not that they won't tell you, it's just that they can't tell you quite how their money will be used and what impact it will have. So, if you want to have high impact giving with the donations that you're making, I recommend you check out GiveWell. They spend 30,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only direct funding to a few of the highest impact, evidence backed fully audited opportunities. They've found they have hundreds of thousands of donors who donate more than a billion dollars through GiveWell. And the research that they've done shows that those donations will serve 150,000 lives and impact millions more. GiveWell is free as you might hope. So GiveWell wants as many donors as possible to use this information, make informed decisions about high-impact giving. They publish all their research on the website for free. There's no sign up required if they don't take a cut and they allow tax-deductible donation to the charity of your choice. If you've never donated to GiveWell before, uh, you can have your donation matched up to $100 before the end of the year, as long as their, their matching funds last. And that's if you attribute this podcast as you refer. So go to givewell.org and pick podcast and enter my podcast. Make sure they know you heard about it from me. Your donation will be matched and of course, attributed. Thank you so much for supporting the sponsors who helped make this show possible. I'm careful, as you know, to only pick sponsors I believe in whose products I enjoy and think you will too. Now with both ears and everything in between, please enjoy this conversation arriving in three, two, one. Hi Maria. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: This is going to be exciting because I feel like I have known of you and known like the peripheral of your story forever and I'm excited to sort of like get the first hand account. So Bo who we both know and love and who's been on the podcast before for Rolling Fun and you have worked together for a really long time on Orbis and I'm very excited to sort of like get your story from you from the beginning. So tell us sort of who you are, where you came from, and how you ended up starting or starting to become the CEO of Orbis.
0: Sure. So Maria Flynn, I started off life as an engineer um, and then found that I'm more interested in the business side of technology. So I got to know Bo at Cerner and we would have lunch oh. and uh, share
1: stories. Okay.
0: So I would help him with things and he would help me with things. And Did you then- work
1: on the same team or anything or you just kind of
0: no, we were uh, both in different leadership programs, okay. and I was coming out of a University of Chicago MBA, and he was going to go into HBS yeah. MBA, and so that's where we'd start to share stories of, he would tell me how Cerner worked, and I would tell him what an MBA was like, <laughs> and so we stayed friends, and then he he went to Harvard and came back, and I was interested in doing something really entrepreneurial, but Cerner was a very important place to work, and it's a hard place to leave at that time, Yeah, and- so I left not knowing what I was going to do. And Bo's door was one of the first ones I knocked on. Because being at Kaufman Foundation, he I knew he saw a lot of interesting things.
1: Yeah. He's like the intersection you go to. And you're like, I'm not sure what to do with my life or my company. He, I feel like he gets so many of those phone calls.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's a great person to talk with. Yeah. So little did I know what would that, that call would lead into. And so as a few months, I was just exploring, seeing what was around town, uh, what new things were starting. And it was the same time Corey and Bo were bringing the technology out of University of Illinois. So they had already founded the company, Orbis Biosciences. It took them about a year to get the license out and get some angel funding. And then they got me and I was the first full-time person. So,
1: yeah. And you were hired as CEO at that point?
0: No. At that point, I was vice president of business development. Yeah. So I would go see who could we get to partner with us so it's really it's very much a partnering story yeah and that's what i was doing a lot at cerner so it was a good fit and i think that's really important for technology coming out of universities that you have a full-time person that that's what they get up and think about all the time
1: yeah what what about orbis made it is, is that an industry thing is that a company thing like what made partnerships drive this company so much
0: so it's a licensing business model So we had a platform technology that could improve their drugs. And uh, so we'd partner with pharmaceutical and consumer product companies.
1: Yeah. So no, no partners, no customers. Right. Like really is. Right. Okay. Interesting. How involved were you in the like tech transfer process? That's a little bit of like a interesting mystery to me. Do you want to speak to that at all? Or you kind of came after that. So that's not a.
0: So I came after it, but I managed it. okay. Okay. And so. When you start things, you know things are always going to be easier and take less time
1: yeah. than when you
2: start. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so, you do really want to have a good relationship with with that party, and because they are the original owners. Yeah. So if you need to make adjustments to the plan, that they come along with you, and they need you to succeed. Otherwise, that's not valuable. To them.
1: So, so, is they in this case the like the professor, the university? Like, what what's the because th- there's a bunch of counterparties over there, right?
0: Yeah, so that was it. so University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, okay. and Corey was the inventor. It was his PhD work, and he had went on to University of Kansas. So okay. a lot of times when you're doing tech transfer, you're still a part of it. Yeah, uh, and yet typically there's favorable terms because they do want their innovation to be commercialized. So this was another party. We had a good relationship, and you know, when we won, they won. But just keeping that going.
1: They, the university, right? Okay so, and they, so the university owns a share of the company by nature of the fact that they own the IP where the, where Corey developed it, even though he had then moved on. Right. Right. And so did Corey, does he become like the, I don't know, I'm going to say CTO for lack of a better term. Is he like a part of a full-time role player at the company?
0: So he's chief scientific officer. Okay. But, um, you know, he had a good day job at KU yeah, at university of Kansas and Bo had a great day, job at Kaufman, Kaufman. Yeah. So that's why having me come in yeah. and run with it, then I could come back to both of them. Like, this is what I found. this is what... So that was a great structure to start.
1: Yeah. So they were like part-time founders. And so when you say you were the full, first full-time team member, you mean inclusive of the founding team, really. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Is that a tough, tough role?
0: It's an exciting role because, yeah. you know, what, uh, what can it be? It was more tough environment. So it was end of 2008 and and, you know, and that's where grants became really important to us because so it was a $500,000 angel round, uh, first 250. And then we needed to get four contracts to get the second tranche of 250. So we were very.
1: Very contract motivated. Focused on those KPIs. Yes.
0: And and we got those really quickly because we were, you know, had this urgency. But we knew that money needed to last us as long as possible with the way yeah. the economy was.
1: Is, is the nature of those contracts that they cash flow right away? Or are you sort of saying like, oh, this is a licensing agreement that'll take a while to implement and then we get sort of payment on some terms over the long run. So it's like this will, this will pay off eventually, but we still need a bunch of cash to operate in the meantime.
0: So in the, our structure was, can we cover our costs in, in a proof of concept arrangement? Yeah. So we would start with anything between 50 and 300,000. Anything yeah. between three months and a year, so we would take the pharmaceutical company's product yeah. into our lab and apply our technology and see what we could do and hit if we could hit proof points. And then the licensing gre- agreement comes later, and those are much more lucrative. But you need to have a lot of proof that it's worth it.
1: Yeah, because because they, they go, I mean, they're making huge investments and in implementing all this, and I'm I'm sure these are enormous sort of scale processes. I think we skipped over what the technology fundamentally is.
0: Yes. Uh, so it's a microparticle technology that uh, very uniform spheres and capsules so you can control how the active ingredient releases out of it. Whoa. So a lot of times when you first take a medicine, there's kind of a, a, a burst yeah, and, and a release profile that is not as well controlled as we could control because the particle is very precise and all of them are the same
1: of the sort of the capsule that the medicine comes right. in specifically
0: well well no so it's a powder format that you could then put in a syrup uh, or a tablet or a capsule or a okay. thin film or an injectable
1: so if you didn't necessarily if you looked at two pills or capsules next to each other you wouldn't know which is the orbis one but you'd be able to see in sort of the pace of the drug hitting the bloodstream like which right. okay
0: so i can give you a couple examples please so a lot of times controlled releases and a bigger tablet format mm-hmm. form, and there was a product I would always take, but it was too strong for me, so I would cut it, and it says don't cut oh. until it was really releasing quickly. So before I got into the space, I understood what I was doing, but but it's very difficult to do it in a liquid format. So if you get a four hour liquid and a twelve hour tablet, we well, could use our technology to do a twelve hour liquid, interesting, or an injectable and in a contraceptive space that's a very potent drug, and you could release it out over a year. So we think of over going a in year going in for a annual exam getting a shot that releases per year so Whoa. those were a couple of our licenses
1: that's awesome yeah i imagine i mean people trying to sort of self-administer that could be dangerous in a bunch of ways like if you're if you're cutting a pill you're changing your dosage you're right yeah interesting okay and what was the what was cory's like discovery or method or like how did that what was the breakthrough that enabled that
0: so his his hypothesis was could you have very uniform microspheres to to really control how it would re- would release, and it was yeah. originally for an injectable depot, so long acting pain relief. Yeah. And then when we started, we realized you no, know, it could be used for many things, and we were even we had clients in gum and agrochemical and hmm. wound healing. Yeah. So a lot of different spaces, and we learned that it was too big of an ask for a small team to know all those industries yeah. and our technology, but it helped us get. Those initial contracts that we needed, yeah, and we learned a lot. So my we learned stuff in gum that really transformed how we thought about oral drugs. So it was interesting. You know, sometimes you make these decisions out of necessity because yep. you need to. Yeah. But you learn things, and and so it's always a fine balance of, you know, enough balls in the air that something was going to cross the finish line, but few enough balls in the air that.
1: Yeah, across the finish line yeah that's a, a tension i see in a lot of startups is like you know the the need to focus on because you your small team limited resources but also oh sure we have so many market opportunities so many applications for this technology we've got customers maybe coming in from a bunch of different industries but they all want something slightly different i think it's a it's a tough thing to manage to right. know you know when when to focus down incredibly hard and when to explore new opportunities because there's a local maximum over here or, you know, a bigger opportunity in this other market. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, I mean, sounds like you balance that a little bit with like, you know, ne- necessity of contract, exploration of market, but you, you eventually did focus back down on just the drug market where right. those tough, tough decisions to make or.
0: No, I mean, there's always the shiny object syndrome and how to, <laughs> yeah. you know, prevent yourself from getting off track. But, and it, to me, it's a balance of, Listening for the right signals of where to go next, but kind of staying true to where you're supposed to go and the steadiness of keeping the train going. But a lot of times, it's you know, it's easy to stand on the outside and tell and think you should know what people should do. But there's a lot of competing factors, and one of them is you know, cash to keep things going. Yes,
1: (laughs) yeah. So let's go back to that sort of that early. You had 250 grand seed funding. You had another tranche of a quarter million coming. If you got the four contracts, I mean, that's uh, how, do you remember how much, how many months of burn that was?
0: Oh, well, so at that time it was me, but, but you know, that first check, you know, 250 comes in, you feel like, oh, that's great, but you need to pay Illinois. Yeah. So because one of the main reasons versus we'll want to have th- these license agreements because can they recoup some of their costs of
1: developing yeah. the
0: patents and, and their programs. And so they want
1: cash right away.
0: Yeah. So it'll be, ca- there'll be cash components. That's
1: pretty aggressive.
0: And you know it all depends on yeah. what you negotiate, but I ours suppose. had a significant one, and it had minimums along the way, so yeah. that there would be something, and and really to show that we were doing something with it. Mm-hmm. So if we weren't, you don't want it on the shelf somewhere. Yeah, if we were it we would go back to the university. But yeah, we had cash components, and they had an equity component. Sure, and then they had a share of licenses. Yeah, so there are a couple elements.
1: Wow, interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that just feels like a a risky thing. I don't know, like. I understand they have, they've got immediate cash. lay. they've got to recoup, but yeah, pulling cash out of a startup that just raised you right. know a quarter million dollars feels feels like a well, heavy le- burden.
0: Also, legal fees. So the yeah. organizational setup and sure. that. So we had two significant checks go. Yeah. Um, but then how we structured it was when we signed deals, we would outsource it to the university lab. So we had uh, an arrangement where okay. they wouldn't retain IP. It was a services agreement. Yeah. But that's how we could get started very yeah. small.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So what were the what was the process of like running down those first four contracts? Did you did you start super broad?
0: So we would go to conferences. Yeah. And one of our most important relationships we found at the world's best technology conference in Texas. And so there was, wherever there were technology scouts. Is
1: it just called the world's best called, technology? Yeah, World
0: Be- best technology. Is it WPT? the world's
1: best technology conference?
0: <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have felt like it when you were there, like anything <laughs> big was going to come out of it. Yeah. But it, you know, a significant relationship did come out of That's it. Awesome. Um, there are these challenges, nine Sigma and InnoCentive where hmm. companies would put out some kind of technology need and we respond, respond to those. Okay. And that was pretty positive. You know, a lot of companies would come through University of Kansas and so it's a it was a nice magnet of they want to see what's happening there. Yeah. And so we had a bright and actually through our website people would find us. So we yeah. had a few market channels.
1: There's some good scuttlebutt. Yeah. Is, were those first four in in different industries? Yes. Okay. So learning a lot about a uh-huh. broad set of market opportunities. Right. And then you got your second tranche. Where did the where did the grant funding sort of start to enter the picture? I know I know that's um And you're getting cash from each of these contracts so you got a a few different sources was it after that second tranche of seed funding that
0: um we started working on the process before but yeah it was actually so it takes a while to get a grant and we had we (laughs) we had gotten the signal that we were we were in queue for it to be coming but it wasn't there yet so we actually wrote raised a small bridge convertible note which ended up we didn't need it but we we thought we were going to run out of that 500 before that kicked in yeah so it we had started the process and and when people come to me and they need money now you know this isn't a great mechanism for now but it's a great mechanism for you know six to nine months from now
1: yeah As i've seen a few times sort of the the small fundraise to bridge to a, a slow cash flow that's coming either from a big customer or a grant or something and it's it's scary to be to wired you know two months of money into a company, but they right. can, can go good or bad sort of either way. I know this is now sort of the focus of your career is consulting on grants, getting grants, and positioning companies for acquisition because these are both things that Orbis went through and you learned a ton about. So I want to sort of learn as much as we can about the grant funding process because who does not want non-dilutive equity, or non-dilutive capital, right? It's It's scary and hard and slow, but man, if you get it, like that just feels like the cat's pajamas. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, well,
0: and actually, I've got investor friends that are bringing their companies to me because they put some in, but if they can get extra, why not?
1: Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, yeah. What you, I, the best case scenario is like you're an early equity investor, and then there's a bunch of non dilutive funding that comes after, and then the company sells or goes public or starts cash flowing, and you didn't have to get diluted by follow on investors, push you down or took better liquidity preferences or anything. So yeah, tell, tell us everything. How do- <laughs>
0: yeah. So I came in in August of 2008 and it was probably a month later, I was in a room where it was how to fund your startup. Okay. It was a couple hour, you know, different speakers and there was a lunch and there were maybe 20 companies, 20 entrepreneurs in the room. Mm-hmm. And it was heavy in angel and VC, mm-hmm. mostly venture capital is as how the conversation typically goes and a woman raised her hand and said you know why aren't we talking about small business innovation research sbir grants
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know the speaker didn't really know that space and said well you know it's not applicable to all companies but if you can do it then go get it and yeah. kind of a uh, patted her on the head and i thought i want to know what she knows <laughs> and and so i went up to her later and her name is Donna Johnson with Pinnacle Technologies in Lawrence, Kansas. And she was a great mentor for me. So she gave me some of her feedback. They ha- they were successful in, in getting grants. And she actually had some inside baseball knowledge because she had sat on the other side and, and giving grants. And so she gave me some tips and pointed me to some websites. And so that was a super important day meeting her. Yeah. Because having somebody that has done it before you know some of those, those, tricks and you know you don't want to scare people off by saying will you mentor me because that sounds like a lot of time <laughs> but if you know can i follow up with some yeah. questions most everybody will say sure yeah um, so i got you know one day i went over to her office and she showed me some things and so one of the things she told me about was your specific aims it's a one page kind of summary of what your application is going to be yeah. and she said you know develop that and then nih will go around the country and meet with
1: NIH.
0: Computers. Oh, National Institutes of Health. Okay. So there are 12 federal agencies that will fund SBIRs. There's over $3 billion every year that goes Whoa. to small business okay. innovation research SBIRs. And there's there's two acronyms. There's SBIR and there's STTR, which is Small Business Tech Transfer. And really the difference is how much of that award can go into a university. Go outside the small business. Yeah. So those are the two mechanisms that the government gives to small business. They've been doing this for forty years. Every few years, there's a, a concern that it won't be renewed. Yeah, will it, will it? Will it die? But it's been going on for a long time, and really, it's to stimulate small business innovation in our country. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a nice pile of money. Yeah. And but it's kind of a game of how to get to it.
1: How do you know? even a range of like how many small businesses that goes to or what size sort of the grants. I mean 3 billion is a lot but if that goes to a small handful of companies.
0: So, a phase 1 is typically around 225. Okay. And a phase 2 is typically around a million and a half. And it really it varies by agency. Like I think USDA capped it at a million for phase 2, but so a couple hundred for yeah. phase 1 and so that's a lot of grants.
1: That's a lot of grants. I mean that's a seed round right like instantly and 3 billion is a lot of those
0: right it is a competitive process yeah and it that varies by agency but typically 20 25 are awarded so you, you think about okay. you know how many there are and then
1: yeah i mean you know, that's a that's four a, or
0: five x that of how many is going for it
1: it's a better odds than individual investor outreach certainly i don't know about sort of in aggregate it depends you know what your sample size is but 25 20 25 is higher than i would have guessed actually
0: well, and think about how much time you spend in the investor trail, and how many doors you knock on, and yeah. and in the due diligence process. And so when I see, you know, our rates, particularly around our states, are not as high for SBIRs. And I so when I drill down of why is that, raising money is an intimidating process that takes a lot of time. Yeah. So I, <laughs> it's I, a
1: little less sexy to get a grant from the government, but it shouldn't be because it's way better economics. <laughs>
0: right. So I've uh, a good story on that. So. Well, let's go back to if we could the uh, the road show the National Institutes of Health yeah. go around and yeah. there was one in Omaha, and so we went there. I had my specific aims page, and I was you know going to go for the phase one two hundred twenty five thousand. And she turns around and she pulls out a page, and I said, "Well, I think you'd be a great candidate for this lab to marketplace grant." And phase one was eight hundred thousand, and phase two was one point eight wow. million. And so this was our first grant. And I was like, okay, well, let's go for that. And that so that was our first award was eight hundred thousand. Wow. And so I went into Kaufman Foundation and Bo and I were celebrating. Yeah. And somebody walks by that's a a mentor that I have a lot of respect for. And Bo says, Hey, we just got eight hundred thousand dollar grant. And the mentor says, Well, a grant does not a company make. (laughs) So I think there's a bias against grants that you can kind of poo-poo that, whereas if it was like an investor, you know, we wouldn't have that same reaction.
1: It's a little more, is the, is the understanding that there's more signal in an investor buying in because it's...
0: I think, I think that's right, but I think that's misplaced because if you look at the um, review panels that are, that stand behind these uh, grants, You know, there's a long list of people and they're from academia and industry and they have deep knowledge in this space. Mm -hmm. Whereas you look at the investors, how, you know, it's not always that they have deep knowledge in that space. Yeah. So I think it, we do see a lot more um, signal if you Mm -hmm. can get an investor to write a check, but I don't think that's accurate.
1: Yeah. That's a really, yeah, that's a very interesting point. Because yeah, I think I mean gen- investors with with definitely some in- exceptions tend to be more broad, more generalist rather than and and I imagine that the review process is a little bit of a black box to most people. They don't know they, they don't do they don't dig in to see like who is the panel who's actually approving this and reviewing the technologies. And I'm sure it's a bit of a burdensome process, but it should I think. It's an interesting point that that should carry a lot more credibility than it seems to
0: right. And then you think about and and where he's going is, you know, you do want to be careful from an academic perspective, you get these grants, and then if it doesn't work, it's ok. you go get another grant. And mm-hmm. that doesn't work in a startup. So that's yeah. the difference is like you are you are leveraging this investment that the government's making yeah. to get you to the next stage, just like you would any other investor. And it can't be a rationale of like, if it doesn't work, I'll go get another grant. You know, it has to work. So,
1: so you get, and and, so, yeah, talk about that, sort of that journey. Like, do you get, if you get a phase one grant, does that mean you cannot go get another phase one grant? Does that mean you either proceed to two or fail? You can, do you go back to VCs after that? Like, it's a great option, but I guess what, what makes it so that you can't sort of try to continue to live on after that?
0: Well, and. So you've got a nice window in the beginning, where, yeah. You know, you especially
1: eight hundred grand, it gets a long way. Yeah, yeah. And
0: you are new, and it's innovation. Yeah, and and that's what I work with my entrepreneurs is, you want a grant program. What what are all the doors you can walk through, mm-hmm. and map that out, and walk through all those doors don't just walk through one door and if it gets stuck then go through another door because like the department of defense has many interests yeah a lot of them overlap with other agencies so oftentimes particularly if you have a platform Mm -hmm. technology like there's a lot of things you can do with it but looking at what what you want to develop and chunking it into stages that are 225 million and a half, whatever, but it's also key that you're chunking into things that you should be doing and you want to be doing and you don't get sidetracked of like, oh, well, this is money, Um, but you're working on something that's not propelling you to where you need to go. So it's a balance of the things you need to do to to propel your company and what is interesting to those agencies.
1: Yeah. Those grants are not revenue. They are just cash. Right. And so you still need to you simultaneously build the function and the plan that gets you the capital, but be building the company, the customer-facing company and sales channels and partnerships that you need to actually get the company to stand on its own later. And it's nice that you can get sort of a series or potentially, you know, I, I, the the analogy that I is in my head that just sort of popped up is like scholarships. It's like, people can get multiple overlapping scholarships. Some of them have requirements, some of them don't. Some of them care that you're overlapping them, some of them don't, but like at the end of the day, it's better than a student loan economically. And if people can like help you along, they just, they want to, that's what the money's there for. The money's there to like help you grow and and move you along and build exactly the kind of business that that the government knows will create jobs and foster innovation. So talk about, I guess, some of the the process going into it. Like when when did you, you said you met Donna Johnson, you attended a conference, you're like sort of seeing where these are, the, the sources of money, how hard was the process of like learning to apply? Because it, 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 I think, it, as you said, it's intimidating, it's a little bit of a black box, it's a weird skill set, a lot of paperwork. So, talk about sort of the, the learning curve around getting up to speed on these.
0: Well, and your first time you, with anything you're learning new, yeah. you know, you don't have bio sketches and you know the the things that they, but you do have you're selling yourself. So, a lot of the stuff that you do in the process. You should be doing anyway. Mm. You know, there's a competitive uh, section, and you should know that. Yeah. So that's the other way of, of thinking about it. It's not. It's not even if we don't get it, get the award. It's not time wasted because it's stuff you should be doing. And if you think of it in that mindset and don't get too bogged down and to. But your yeah. first time, it's not like oh,
1: this is more paperwork. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. right.
0: But your first time it is, you're assembling all those pieces and yeah. you're learning and you open up the application guide and it's almost 400 pages. And I think that's why people don't, a lot of people who can use this mechanism aren't using it is yeah. because it becomes a little overwhelming, which is what I'm here to help them through. But the first question to a- to answer is if you're eligible Mm-kay. and so we'll, we'll get you that link and so there are a couple of keys. So it needs to be a small business, which means it's under five hundred people.
1: Oh, okay, check.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be owned by U.S. Okay. and, and you know, sometimes there'll be people I'll meet that are a great candidate for that, but they they might not have U.S. citizenship. So it needs, it needs to be
1: owned to be, by U.S. citizens, right? Okay,
0: it can have some venture capital in it. That's something that came huh. in new in the last ten years. Before you couldn't, yep. but there are certain you know percentages.
1: Sorry before uh, not to get you off track the it needs to be owned in whole or in part by US citizens.
0: Well, and there's a whole matrix on
1: Okay, that, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a there's five on pages on that alone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it's really, you know, is it a small is it defined yeah. as a small business uh, ownership and control okay. and and who owns it and yep. are they US and size the 500. And then the other key thing is your principal investigator or your PI. Yeah needs to be 51% in the business. So that's where a lot of like university folks will have a problem because they can't be in two places at once, which is where I came in.
1: What, the principal investigator meaning like the main operator of right. the business?
0: Well, the, the main the the main person running the grant.
1: Okay. I had not heard that term before. Yeah. Principal so, investigator. investigator. That's a badass term. PI, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you know, I don't have a PhD. I yeah. have an engineering background. I can certainly understand technology, but a lot of the times when you look at who, who the PIs are, they do have, uh, you know, a PhD and you know, rich credentials. And so I'm the PI on our first one. And then after that, we had PhDs. Mm. So I share that because don't let it stop you because yeah. we made it through that on the first one.
1: Interesting. So what was the is there no credential around the technology itself or does that sort of live somewhere else in the in the document
0: oh yes so it's deep in in, okay. in in there and and you will be competing with a lot of you know important things yeah in, and a lot of people who really know the space yeah intimately so it does have to be significant
1: and what are some of the things that are that you see often as like the technologies that are coming up. So it it is, it is interesting. This is mostly tech driven. There's a split between tech transfers and stuff coming out of academia and maybe stuff that's totally independent of academia. Although I imagine most of this is academic research starting to become commercialized.
0: Or no, I do work with people who are developing their own innovation. It's, it's more of does, does that agency or institute or whoever has the pot of money? Is it what you're building aligned with, what they want to see out there, yeah. and a lot of times they will put out. You know, these are research areas we want to fund, mm-hmm. but then they also have what they call general omnibus, which is you know bring all your ideas. Yeah, which is what all of ours were funded under. So oh, even if you can't find the specific one to go for, yeah, they will entertain a lot as long as you fit into their mission and there's a commercial need mm-hmm. and it's real
1: and you're yeah solving a problem that they have and see in their in their field. Okay, so so you said that $3 billion of that money goes in, and the umbrella term is SBIR or STTR. Right. Okay, but they're actually, the, the individual decisions or the allocations are made by one of 12 different agencies, I think you said?
0: Yeah, so there are 12 agencies, and then if you look like the Department of Defense has 1214 oh, wow. within it. There's the uh, Department of Health and Human Services. Which NIH is a big bulk of that. There's okay. also FDA and CDC. So yep. I'll get you this link
1: just acronyms and acronyms yes. and acronyms and acronyms. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a few of the links sort of in the in the show notes here or people can look them up. And Maria's website, I'm sure, has a ton of the posts and stuff breaking this down. So does that mean you're submitting to potentially a dozen individual applications? Like is that does each each organization runs their own process, even See, though the pot of money is the same?
0: Right. And you want to find the specific Place for that grant to go, yeah. and that's one of the, one of the tricks you learn after you submit it. You got to make sure it went to the right place because we had a time when we didn't do that, and yeah. it went to a different review committee who wouldn't have gotten what we were doing. So it's kind of a waste of a submission. And you want to talk to the program officer before, program yeah. manager before, saying this. You know, going back to your one page. You know, this is what we want to do. Does this fit? Yeah. And I do talk with uh, companies that will will go there and they'll they'll say you know no. So then they'll save some time.
1: Yeah. But so you don't even have to right. apply. Yeah.
0: But if you are just at all in their wheelhouse, they will encourage you because it's a, a bit like universities where, you know, the more applicants you get, the smaller pers- award percentage, the more prestigious it is. Mm. So there is some of that. But and it all depends program manager to program manager, but they can give you some really good feedback of, you know, what are the Kinds of things that they're talking about, what they're interested in.
1: So that's kind of where you go plant the seed or foster a relationship with the decision makers, and right, sort of try to. So, what's your sense of how many of these are just like straight thrown over a counter, and you know, out of a hundred, the top twenty get funded versus like there's there's like a lobbying sort of like process that's going on, and relationships determine this. Like, is it?
0: I think it's more merit based go. from my experience of, you know. What does the review committee think are the best ones that cycle? But I have heard stories where there's a need they have. And because they know these people, they will call them up and say, Mm. you know, hey, we really need this and you're well suited.
1: Please submit. Right. Yeah.
0: So it does. It is worthwhile having those relationships, but I don't think it gets you to the top of the list.
1: Yeah. And even that, you know, there's multiple iterations and it still needs to be, you know, whatever it is still needs to go to market how how often is the relationship of like grant funding and becoming a customer like how often are those interrelated i mean these these the reason the motivation for these agencies to be giving you the money is to make this technology available for them to purchase right so how often is that kind of is that the same conversation is that a, a totally sort of like firewall separated conversation
0: so for the us government to be a client is that,
1: yeah yeah. Or, or any of these agencies individually right or, or is that you think of it the same way
0: Well and like the National Institutes of Health a, a lot of it is creating research to better you know our health sure. and so they wouldn't be a client per se but I can Department of Defense I can see them becoming a client and so the three agencies that we worked with are National Institutes of Health Department of Defense and the USDA mm-hmm. and the DOD it it became a contract versus a grant. So we Mm. entered our phase one was an SBIR and then it became a a contract. So that's when you can see more of the grant shifting into a client relationship.
1: Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a preference as a founder and operator, like which, whether it's, it's revenue or grant?
0: There was a lot more requirements around a grant and a lot more Um, auditing. So at the time it felt onerous, but it it all makes you a better company. Yeah. And so then, when you get to selling your company, you know if you've been audited by the DoD, you can yeah. be audited by anybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the DoD's motto. Right. If you can make it, if you can make it through our audit, you'll be fine for everything else that comes after. Interesting. Okay. How how much? I mean, if we can play a game of conjecture, like how much of of the funding came from equity investors, and how much came from grant funding, and how how might have the world uh, of Orbis turned out differently? If that pie chart was different.
0: So once we, so we knew we were a good grant store story. Mm-hmm. And once we started it, we just kept going because it's really nice funding. I think it's healthier funding than traditional venture because healthier financially healthy in that you, you close your month. How much did you spend? You, you asked for that money. Whereas venture, you get this big pot. You got to spend it it's kind of feast and famine mode, and oh. you, you know?
1: Oh, so the, the grants are actually allocated sort of month by month based right. on your expenses up to a certain amount.
0: You only p- withdraw it after you've spent it.
1: Oh, interesting. And,
0: and there's another way to do it. To me, that's the easier, cleaner way. Yeah. These are a lot of the requirements yeah. that just-
1: Assuming you have the cash, some right. cash already to float all right. of your expenses. Yeah.
0: And it's reliable. It's there. So I think it's a pretty healthy way. So we had 9 million through SBIRs.
1: Wow. Over what time period?
0: Probably six years.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: And- it was so. Let's talk about what it did for us, because I always felt a chicken and the egg problem, where to really get customers interested or even investors interested, we needed to show these things, and we needed money to show those things. Yeah. and that's what the SBIR grant filled, and so it helped us scale our technology from lab to a you know a large skid,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and answered a lot of the questions that people had from a scale perspective. It helped us prove a couple different applications, so taste masking for pediatrics, mm. inner ear therapies. It helped us get our first clinical trial and go to the FDA, and because there wasn't anything unusual in, the, we were just a different way to make those particles a better mm. way. You know, we weren't creating an extra FDA burden. Yeah, but people would have that question mark, and we could go do that.
1: You still needed FDA approval
0: well of course on the yeah. products but we could go to the fda and, and and with our clinical trials and get that feedback so then any oh. client that came they would have that as an example
1: yeah nine million is a lot and so you, did you raise any venture in that once you started getting those grants
0: no and we we tried later i mean it, quite a bit later and then okay. we had product ideas and that was pretty challenging because you know people want to fund things that are new Yeah, and and once you've been around longer that's a harder story to tell they also you know we we were cash flow positive for a lot of years which is hard for a startup to do and that was just in the covering our cost phase it was not in the license phase that Mm -hmm. came later so you know we had a much bigger financial story later but i think people are worried that you're in the covering the cost that's so there were a couple of reasons why I think it was difficult for us to raise funding. But when it got to the end and we were selling the company, it turned out to be a blessing because we could be much more flexible on how we structured that. So sometimes when you have these difficulties and you're not <laughs> crossing the finish line, you want to cross. And then later on, you can look back and be like, ah, oh, I'm glad I didn't cross <laughs> that finish line because this would be much harder.
1: Not raising venture gave you the optionality to get acquired for what you wanted rather than what the other equity holders watering because you had fewer sort of stakeholders with different different outcomes in mind is there anything else to to sort of tell about the grant piece of the story before we we smash cut to the the acquisition piece
0: yeah let's see so like if you click on this agencies and you go into the nih it says access 1.2 billion in small business funding from nih's seed fund so they they view themselves as an investor okay you know they're just seeding you know
1: even bunch. though they're not taking
0: right even though they're not taking equity so yeah. and they're not breathing down your neck you yeah. know, you do you do it's more of a financial are you spending money the way you should be but okay. you do have your reports of at the end that you submit but it's not like you got to prepare for board meetings okay. and then the other thing to know is to look into your state incentives because mm. some states will they call it phase zero they will give you money to apply for these and some states will match i think about half of the states will match either phase one or phase two so if you go oh, get one it could double not quite double they might do fifty percent wow. or a certain percent up to
1: okay.
0: you know 150 thousand but it's it it's a multiplier effect yeah and so to be aware of that
1: yeah there's a ton of like local even economic development agencies I had some experience in college working with one in Lansing that was like there was the Michigan one and then the Lansing one and it's like there's some people that were kind of able to layer over and over different things. And the layer zero is interesting, too, because a few times I was thinking, man, it's like it's a good thing you had that first half a million because you have to float cash and it takes time to so to get these grants and apply for them. And it's expensive. And, you know, you're traveling, you're spending time writing, doing more research. So let's talk a little <coughs> about the timeline before we move on to like, how long does it take to prepare one of these, submit, wait on the answer, get the money. I imagine, you know, there's companies could live and die. By that and that, I can't imagine it's a fast process.
0: Right, we would give ourselves about three months for for one. And your first for an application, right? Yeah, because you're doing other things too. Yeah, and your first one, you want to give yourself a little buffer because you're learning things. There's registrations. There's like four registrations that you take a bit of time. I think they can take up to six weeks. And then it, it all depends on your agency. And so the most active ones are NIH and Department of Defense, and they have like NIH for SBIR is three a year. Okay. So you can think three about decision
1: points, right? Okay. So like
0: January 5th, is the next one, and then okay. April 5th. And so they'll want to have their review cycle done before their next one submission. So they don't get mm-hmm. deluged. So you want to, after you submit it, you want to check it went to the right place. And then typically about say six weeks, okay. y- you'll get some kind of a signal. The worst Thing that can happen. well, the worst thing that can happen is you can be rejected for something like formatting or, and, and oh. there will be those kind of stories. and I think people hear those stories and they're like, oh, no, not worth it., yeah. you know? but then if it gets reviewed, because they have so many to look through, the worst ones they won't score. So if it's if it's not scored, then yeah. that's the worst one. And then and then you get a score and you will get a feedback sheet. Oh. And uh, so typically three reviewers, the lower the score, the better you did. And then they will have a pay line. Of and you know, and that will fluctuate cycle kind of by cycle,
1: force, kind of a force, curve. right? Okay,
0: but nothing is guaranteed until it's done. But once they start working with you on the next step, it's pretty much the funding's coming as long as you follow up with their requests. Yeah, so once you get that signal, then you can. So, one story I have is we had two phase ones going and we phase one grants and we were applying for the phase two grants. And we didn't get them and we're pretty down on it. And then we had somebody leave their company and we just had a lot going on. And this person would typically have helped us apply for those. So two of us got together and we're like, okay, let's take the feedback. Let's make the changes that we can, but let's just resubmit it. And we got both of them. Hmm. Uh, And they weren't that significantly different than the, the time before because it was... Just so much going on, like yeah. you know, we've got this many hours to do it. Let's just go do it. Yeah. and and so that just goes to like you never know. It all depends on like who are you up against, who are your reviewers. Is there somebody in there that likes it enough to to stand up for you? And what are their negotiation abilities? Yeah. You know, some people, you know, just want to push it through because they can. Yeah. Or other people, you know, maybe don't have that personality. So I think there's so many factors in there that it's just more of a numbers game. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we got seventy nine percent of the funds we went after. Wow. And I think it, if you look at it, you know we had talented people in there, but it was really a keep going, last person standing mentality.
1: Yeah. Keep cash in the bank. Keep resubmitting. Wait till right. you find the right. I don't know if you remember this, maybe too detailed of a question, but like, how much did the pay line move? How much did your score move? Like, how many of these things are in your control to change? Because You know, how many times does a funding come down to like a sentence in a deck with one sentence written this way and one sentence written this way and who happens to read it and it just locks in with, you know, their lived experience and how they've been thinking about something. And it's amazing how small changes can affect an outcome. But it also may be that they're like, oh, we rewrote the whole thing based on feedback they gave us. And then we were up against a weaker cohort and our score moved up 10 po- or down 10 points and like how much how much do you feel like you can change and how much is just like keep throwing darts
0: i i don't think a lot of it is in your control i think you do your best it's yeah. pretty much it in anything you put it out you put it out there and you see what happens because yeah. i think it's more of like who who does this resonate with and mm-hmm. what i've seen in other with other startups is sometimes the investors that have the deep knowledge in that space also have the baggage.
1: Yeah. And yeah. so
0: it's really the adjacent investors that will go with you. Remain
1: optimistic. Because they because yeah. I,
0: you know, I talked with an investor and they had a great outcome. They sold their company for a couple billion dollars and when I looked at how much went into like they had to be a great outcome, but then he, he said, you know, I'd never do that again. <laughs> and and it's just because you've got all this yeah. scar tissue of how yeah. the ups and downs when it still is a good outcome, but you, <laughs> you know, you have that stuff that you carry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. No, I know too much to start it, to have started it again. Right. Know. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so talk a little bit about the, the process that you have that you walk entrepreneurs through. If they reach out to you and they say, Hey, we, th- we think we're eligible for some of these grants. We'd love some non-dilutive funding. We, we have a technology, we have an t- early team and we could really use this money to, to keep going. How do you how do you start to work with them over what timeline sort of what do they tend to need the most help with?
0: So it's a 12 week program. Okay, And we start by kind of mapping out what are all the doors okay. we can walk through and what are all the areas you want to develop your technology. And then quickly you got to hone in on what you think is the best one mm-hmm. to go first based on what you need to do and what you think the agency would like.
1: Yeah,
0: And then, and this, this assumes you've already, you know, you already met all the requirements yeah. and, and you're,
1: you're somewhat able, prepared to put together your right. applica- a good application
0: and you're able to
1: yeah.
0: apply and then, you know, try to spread out the jobs in your team. So it's mm. not so onerous on one person, you know, you need one person driving the bus, but other people can carve off little chunks, yep. particularly if you have like a technical person and a more commercial person. So we put together <laughs> that plan of, you know, what will that look like? You want to talk with the program manager early with, First, you got to develop what your one page is of what you want to do, but that's really a good tool to take around because you want to get letters of support from people like buyers Mm -hmm. or experts in the industry. And you can make your team shinier by getting these friends that will come along with you and either as advisors or potential customers. And then, so getting the feedback from the program manager is really the fuel to like go do the rest of the work. Yeah. So there's a lot of- If they're encouraging about
1: what they see in you. Right. You're kind of like, okay, cool. Very interesting. How much should people anticipate to invest in that process? Either in hours.
0: Hours. Or- I you know, what I they had told me and was pretty true, I think, is your first one takes about a hundred hours oh. if you are efficient and mm-hmm. ticking things off. And that's you know, sometimes when we get overwhelmed by the so many things we have to do, you know, I would always tell myself, perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah. You've got four hours to go do this section, whatever it is at the end of the section, I'm handing it to my colleague who's going to review it or take the next step and not letting things just get out of control
1: and i imagine if someone inventoried the process to raise a million dollar seed round it's probably not too right. far off
0: no it's just
1: and potentially more value in it, depending a uh, different structure different feedback different things it's interesting to hear that there's so much feedback in, in the burden on you to write an excellent document, knowing that you can't be in the room when they're talking about your fate, I feel like right. is, is a whole different game. But I'm sure, yeah, you put your heart and soul on that page and do everything you can to sort of make an amazing case.
0: I think the difference is when you go raise venture, you don't pull up this application guy that has the 400 pages, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, yeah. you know, it's not so visible how long it's going to be typically.
1: Yeah, you can trick yourself into thinking it's going to be right. <laughs> yeah, a few hours at a time, few smaller iterations, I suppose. But yeah, it, that's a very different process. Okay, all right. One more, anything else on the on the grant funding?
0: I don't think you can outsource it.
1: Um, oh, interesting. So I think okay.
0: yeah, a lot of times people will look for a grant writer to like, hey, go do this. for Yeah, morning. there's
1: agencies and stuff, and like,
0: so a word on that. We had just started going for it because I had gotten the advice early on, like you can't outsource this, mm-hmm. and I didn't truly believe it until we had gotten a $15,000 grant from the state of Kansas to go get help and you know people had these groups had pitched us on on the support and so i was going to go with one of them and then i was doing my reference checks and i found a woman that said well yeah they were okay but i won't submit another application without using these people and so then i started to look at those people and doing their their reference checks and you know really high recommended highly and so we, we worked with them and you know, it was one of our worst reviews. And it was a positive experience working with them and you know, they were great to work with, but at the end of the day, the result wow. wasn't. So that just goes to show like, it's a very difficult to control process, Yeah, but I do see like, if, cause a lot of times these are very technical
2: mm-hmm. things
0: you're doing and, and you can find technical writers for sure, but you spend more time Communicating and, it yeah. to them and then coming back, like, you know, investing grammarly, you know, just <laughs> um, just get in there and writing skills very person to person. And, and so you can get somebody to help you with it, but you can't just you outsource can- it to somebody. And- yeah,
1: you don't want someone else driving the bus, right. which I think is the interesting. I think that's why your approach is really smart, because it's not it isn't very much. You're not saying you can't get help. You're saying you can't outsource the driving of the bus right you like the the driving has to be internal inside the company it matters more to you than anybody else you've got to own it um but having a mentor can help a lot having a writer can help a lot having letters of support or expert reviews or um, program managers like feedback and contribution from a ton of people yourself possibly highly recommended by me for helping with this process and having an expert i think helps a lot because i can't imagine the gut punch of putting 100 hours into something and then being rejected for formatting.
0: Right. Uh-huh. Ugh. Well, and that's where <laughs> I think you have to look at it like whatever comes of this, I'm going to, I'm going to, my company's going to grow and I'm going to take yeah. these sections to whatever the next thing is. Because you're, yeah. you know, it, you're talking about the significance of why this is important. And yeah. the Commercialization impact. And like, so you have to look at it as like, I'm going to, I'm going to get something out of this regardless. Yeah.
1: Refining my hope, story. But hopefully some money too. Building an asset. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Is, is the acquisition stuff like, do, do you pair those together with your your you sort of consult with people on getting grant funding and managing that process? You also consult on like you call acquisition coaching, right? Like how to position yourself for acquisition or what that process is like or how to set up for success there. How often are those like overlapping and you do them together with the same companies or these are kind of separate offerings that you have just expertise in both?
0: Yeah, they're, they're separate. And it's really I really like working with entrepreneurs. That's my tribe. Yeah. And I feel like I've got it. A- experience that can help them. Yeah. And kind of 90 day marches up the mountain of like where do you want to be in 90 days mm-hmm. and how can we get there. And I'm modeling it after my mentor that I had, Terry, Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock, you know, every week, was a great urgency builder to drive forward because I'd be like, oh, I, I'm gonna talk with Terry. I want to get this done. I want to be able to talk about this. Yeah. And it it wasn't like he was going to hold my feet to the fire. It was it was but it's a helpful mm-hmm. mechanism for me so that's what i want to be for entrepreneurs of you know every week
2: for how are we making process. progress yeah.
0: and but when i looked back at what we did well grant funding was you know when you go and look at our numbers like we did that well mm-hmm. and then also what i really wanted was vision into that that sale and so that experience we learned a lot and i see that missing is the education and expertise and really it's a lot of business development of how do you prepare for the sale. Yeah. And so how do you that's an eight week structured? These are the things you need to be doing. These are the ducks you need to get in a row. These are the people you should be meeting. And it's really before you can think there's, you know, business brokers and investment bankers, but it's really before that and and really getting, you know, control of your destiny by getting to know those people that would be potential buyers.
1: Yeah. I think that's, you know. A lot of entrepreneurs hope to be acquired or aim to be acquired, but there's very few that you meet that actually have a specific plan and it's kind of a like, oh, we're going to get acquired, but, and then what's the strategy for getting acquired? It's like, oh, we don't have a strategy for it. We just hope, right. you know, hope is not a strategy, right? So it's uh, how many of those do you think are in, the, in that sort of eight week program? How many are? I say like hard skills versus or or to do's versus soft. How many of them are like you need you know this kind of reporting that you're not doing or this or this or this, and how many are you want to tell this story, meet these people, position your company this way?
0: So I think you could put structure. That's where the engineering mind, the, yeah. the structure seeker, into a lot of those things. Just even by putting it into a list. So when you think yeah. about it, at the end, what's your target list of, of companies? Cause we had a, we started building that list, you know, 10, 10 years before we were acquired oh, and, we, wow. and starting to get to know. So, you know, our acquirer, we had known for a long time okay. and which are the companies that we really resonate with and we really fit. Well, there were many companies that that technology would have fit in mm. and it was one epiphany. It was, you know, investment bankers are great people to know because they've got a lot of information that's hard to get. Yeah. And, and they know a lot of things. And one advice I got was, you know, you haven't even been to this conference in, it's called CPHI, this conference in Europe and it's 40,000 people. And so when you go over there, you're like, oh my gosh, there's all these acquirers too. And, and we had certainly been global with our customers, but going there was like, oh my gosh, this whole hall, uh, um, <laughs> we could fit in this whole hall. And yeah. then, and then the last time I went, there was another hall, with like yeah, more on the ingredients side that we started to have conversation with like, we could be in this hall too. So really like, what's the world of possibilities of where you fit, but then also having understanding of like, which are the most likely. Mm. And so when I talk with my entrepreneur friends, we'd have this debate of like, do you need an investment banker or not? And the, the, the a page that I had found is like, is your world of. Possibilities of where you fit. Is it five or less? You know, then you probably don't. Is it 20 or more? You probably do. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the middle, it's kind of a gray area. But like, how many of those people do you already know? Mm-hmm. And you should be doing that a long time before you start a process. And then, really, you know, what is the trigger that will start your process? Yeah. Because companies are bought, they are not sold. So it's more about the buyer situation and. You know, what is the pain point they need? Do they have some money that they need to put somewhere? Do they, ha- you know, do they need to show innovation? Do they need to get a new client base? Like, what is their pain point? And then, if you can search for that trigger and then already know the other people you're going to call when that happens. Yeah. And, and so you, and then there's things like taxes, but you can shift, you know, shift things to charitable trust, but you need to do that 12 months before an event, you know, and so you can learn things through. Friends, yeah. but it takes a lot of work. How do you streamline that? And a lot of time it's the first time we've ever done this. Yeah. So how do you learn before you're there?
1: Yeah. You don't want to find out you painted yourself into a corner of a six-figure tax bill and there's no way out. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's an expensive lesson to learn the hard way one time. So did you know when you started at this company that you know this is a licensing business model, we have a technology. The only way out is acquisition. So let's plan for it 10 years in advance.
0: Yeah. Except we thought it was going to be three to five years. (laughs) Classic. Anyways, 12 years. Okay.
1: I mean, you talked a little bit about you've got the, you you know, the targets, you start relationships with them early. What turned out to be the trigger for Uh, the acquisition?
0: Because we had actually ran a process before and before we got to know, we had an investment banker and got to know a lot of people and we did get a letter of interest Mm -hmm. But what was more significant about that time period is we got license agreement done because they wanted to negotiate with us and not with a unknown buyer. So it was worth worth doing. But it's another one at the time when it doesn't turn out exactly how you had hoped. You know, you're like, oh, and you pick it up and you keep going. But then a couple of years later, so we that so exp-
1: what what year was that? Sort of the the there was you ran a process but ended up not selling. I think that was seventeen. Two thousand
0: seventeen. Okay. And then in late in eighteen had we had the target list and what you know i think a lot of times when there is turnover within companies at the management level like what are their new directives and so when within the company they had brought somebody in to go find new technologies and he had mentioned us so we were already on his radar so that was like the oh Uh, now's the time
1: so the trick yeah I, i really like the line companies are bought they're not sold and it's interesting how quickly things can change on your know, your acquirer potential acquirer side of you know a strategic initiative a management turnover cash infusion so so just being at the right place at the right time and just like the grant funding sort staying in the game right. increasing your shots on goal um, which I guess comes down to your engineer mindset of like you put it on the list maximize your exposure to good events and you stay in the game
0: yep stay alive stay- <laughs> yep
1: <laughs> stay alive. And then, so once you got that, what was the sort of more step-by-step piece of that process? So your acquirer got interested, sort of started a conversation with you about this, and then, I mean, did you restart the grant, the more grand process with investment bankers? Did you shop that offer? Did you? No,
0: we couldn't shop the offer, and a lot okay. of times you can't. So, so once you're there, you need to decide: are you taking it or not? Yeah, and which is why, you know, preparation is key. Because a lot of people will just say, go get two more. It's all about your options, obviously, yeah. and what you can do if this doesn't go through. And so we did reengage the banker. Yeah. And it was important, you know, as was a female in a very male-dominated space. The uh, acquirer, the entire management team was male. So I, I felt like that helped us and gave us just more experience.
1: Yeah. It's hard to go through you know something that you have never been through before when the other side of the table does it you know 10 times a year right and you do it once in your life right uh, so yeah which is uh, again why the the acquisition sort of coaching and, and mentorship and some people are, are lucky to have you know board members like Bo who have right. been through acquisitions before sure. and sort of can can take some of those phone calls and at least be oriented to the process but not everybody does and right that's a that's a good is where the value of some of that board and investor experience can really come into, which is I'm sure what, you know, VCs would say when when they're, you know, pitching for against grant funding, right. like, no, no, take my money, you need my expertise. Right. And it's nice to know that, you know, there's there's uh, people like you who kind of freelance this expertise who can, you know, come in and help companies regardless of of what else is going on. How how can other founders what, what is a sort of common advice you give them to position themselves for a sale?
0: Well, you need to know where you fit and how other people need you and what you have that that they need. Yeah. And so really understanding, you know, it's just another customer of like, what is their pain
1: mm-hmm. and
0: how do you solve it? And Thinking then it's the all timing. Product. Right.
1: Yeah. Timing. So, so just being being re- being able to having the agency to stay alive. Until right. You're required. And
0: timing is so important of, and, and you you know, some deals get done in 90 days some take 18 months and you know one of the things our board would say was you know time kills all deals Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: it was originally going to close march 31st of 20 and we got the call the week before with the pandemic environment that you know it was going to be pushed a month and so that was just really ringing in my head you know time kills all deals but you think about like the dot-com bubble burst where prior to march 10th the ipo of your dreams Afterwards, you know, bankruptcy. So like so many of these these things, it's it's a it's a win one day, and it's not the next. So keeping your company, obviously, you build your company to be as you know as good as it can be and stand on its own for as long as it can. But there's also the begin with the end in mind aspect because we only have so many years that we live. Yep. so however we're gonna whoever we're gonna hand that torch to you know, being clear and making sure that that torch gets handed in the right time
1: frame. Yeah. One of the things that always seems really tricky about this process is managing the team, you know, keeping people focused, the balancing the right level of transparency without bringing them on every twist and turn of the roller coaster that comes with some stuff like this. How, how did you think about that and find that balance?
0: And I think that really varies the size of your company mm-hmm. and how long is the process and we were unusual that we were very transparent because yeah. it was long yeah. and we were small. Yeah. And so I thought the biggest risk to losing people and not staying focused was a lot of uncertainty of what's happening. And, but you got to remember, we're like, we did a process and it didn't go through. Yeah. And then we did another process. So, you know, there's an art to managing things. And when it, and that's the roller coaster, whenever you, you hit a dip, it's, there's still good things. And that's why the multiple balls in the air of like, if that falls, well, we've got these other good things to go do. Yeah, And it's just refocusing and getting energy. And it's sometimes I felt like a cat on my 15th life, you know, <laughs> but it's like, let's go.
1: Just keep holding on. Right. Yeah.
0: And if you're not doing that, then nobody else is going to be doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the founder's, the founder's job. Hold on harder and show everybody else out. Did you, in that process that did not complete in an acquisition, did not end in an acquisition, did you bring, d- you were transparent with the team along that whole process too? <laughs> yep. So you were all in it together. Yep. Just, yeah. And
0: that's unusual. Most of the time you have yeah. a small team that can yep. handle it and everything else just functions as normal. Yeah. But I just didn't think that was the right thing for us.
1: Yeah. I'm 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 glad that worked out and, and worked out again yeah. the right way after. And you know, I'm sure right. you built a lot of trust in that though. I'm sure it was a hard time. So you said there was a, how did the licensing sort of inflection point tie into the acquisition? I know you said that the trigger on the acquirer's (laughs) side was the sort of the need to to show innovation and a a leadership change. Was there anything on your side or like company maturity that made you be like, oh, Oh, now's the right time?
0: So we had two licenses come in. So that was definitely a much, those are value add milestones. But I think we would have ran the first process anyway. Because it helped us get that first first one, so I guess m- the moral to my story is when things don't go exactly like you want them, other good things can come out of it.
1: So the first process, you had no licensing agreements, right? Okay. It was
0: it was it was imminent, and we wanted we were trying to see if that license or would flip into a buyer.
1: Ah, uh, okay.
0: And it's a bit of a risky strategy because who wants to sign this big agreement with people? You know, might be other people there, but we. We were very thoughtful. We thought that was the right thing to do, and mm-hmm. we would do it do it again.
1: And by the time you actually sold, you had two Dude, licenses, uh-huh. and that is so. If I understand the, the business model correctly, here there's like a, I mean, you spent ten years sort of slowly like commercializing, expanding this technology, proving it out, getting approvals, running pilots, proof of concepts, more customers, more contracts, all in service of getting these these big licensing agreements. That are that's where the cash flow comes in. Right. And for a very long time horizon, right? What, right. Can, how much can you talk about sort of what the, like the characteristics of that licensing agreement or yeah. one of them, maybe an abstract.
0: You know, we are very thoughtful of how we thought about our intellectual property and the extensions that we could do. Yeah. So there's really the life of what potential patents were. Okay. So, you know, you're looking at decades.
1: Wow. So you have an agreement with somebody that you're like, we know we're going to get X percent of their sales for decades and in selling that company you're actually selling sort of the not just the cash flow of that licensing agreement but the sort of you know the third the fourth the fifth the ability potentially. to replicate. and mm-hmm. so there you're kind of underwriting like the ex- agreements that exist the under one the other ones that might exist the other ways that the acquirer can use the technology and saying just like pay me out a lump sum for the company from here and now they own the ip they own the everything right that's awesome that's a good yeah. that's it it's interesting it's very unique i mean as as tech as this is, it's distinct from most of the like consumer tech deals you hear about where it's like you're acquiring, you know, the team very specifically or the product or the user base like this is, you know, cash flows. And, and what happens with the team when it gets acquired? Like, are you did you work for the acquirer at all?
0: I did throughout the rest of the year. And then I had a consulting agreement and then yeah. they kept everybody and the site still is in Lenexa, Kansas is yeah. one of their sites.
1: This is a, a question that I feel like you, you might have a good answer to. What are some facts or stats that everyone in your industry knows that would blow normal people's minds?
0: Mm. Well, for the grants, I think certainly the $3 billion. Definitely.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of money.
0: On the acquisition, I think about a third plan to exit through an acquirer okay. and 10 to 20% do. So when you ask the question of like, are these the same people you don't really getting the grant as early stage; stages in your first year or two yeah. of life and planning for it, you know, it's a couple of years before, so somewhere north of five years, you yeah. know, but I think there are two really important things that we need. Yeah. So if I could go back in time and have somebody walk with me, those are the areas and that's why I'm doing, those are my programs. Yeah. So Orbis was definitely a strategic acquisition. There were not the traditional multiples. And so that's why it's a harder, longer mountain to climb, but a very important one because it was important technology that Mm -hmm. we wanted to bring in the world. And we had we knew our place of what role we wanted to have in that and handing the torch to somebody else who had like we weren't interested in building tons of stainless steel, you know. Mm -hmm. But we know people because that's not where we thought our value really was. We were more in the intellectual property building side of things and the demonstrating that it can be done.
1: Yeah. So you built just enough with the technology of a lab to show what somebody who already had all the infrastructure, the value that they could get out of it. And you just had to sort of go through the process of ten years of de-risking right. your IP. Right. And showing them the value of it and the applications of it. And that's when it sort of flipped and
0: and, and get it into a home with bigger business development teams, bigger formulation teams, yeah. bigger commercialization and quality.
1: How how far can the technology go can i take like 10 years of multivitamins
0: oh oral you know it passes through you so like so no. 24 hours but injectable yeah. you know a year or more wow so it's all compliance how do you make it easier for people to stick with a regimen yeah not have side effects
1: and it, i mean i imagine there's so many applications that i can imagine that are very very cool for this
0: I, yeah i think there's more applications than, than what we've explored yeah because you think if it's a really tight range that you can get that, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could imagine, you know, you could test for deficiencies and inject like a very slow sort of different compounds that like rebalance you, that degrade the, de, I don't know, what's the word degrade, decompose degrade. de enter your bloodstream very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, right. very uh-huh. it, it's a little heartbreaking to think about all of the applications that might exist. And as you said, like, you know, gum and agriculture and any other technologies that, because this IP is owned by one company that happens to be a pharmaceutical yeah. company, that it might not enter the the market, or do they? What happens to to an IP like that? Does it get sort of like fragmented by market? Do they own it just for a specific world of applications? Could we start another company that goes takes it in a different direction?
0: So they own it exclusively, okay. But they, you know, in the in the future, if they wanted to, so they like, could. They it could. Out. Typically, though, people don't like to do that because in the drug space you know if it's a new drug there's multi-billion invested in that yeah and if you're on the same process as somebody over there and they have a problem that contaminates what you're doing so you'd rather draw if it's if it's financially viable draw a circle around it and own it
1: yeah
0: that then have that possibility of somebody else. Interesting. And that's part of the strategic
1: piece too, I suppose, is, you know, we we don't want anybody else messing up the, the marketability of, of this drug or our technology or, or anything like that. Cause there's definitely some spillover in some of those.
0: But that was our, you know, in the beginning, that was our hypothesis. Could we create enough proof of concept for gum? Yeah. That Wrigley would license it or agrochemical that Monsanto would license it. And, so when we had that learning that it was just too much industry-specific knowledge that we would need to have, yeah. that when we needed to focus, so I would you know draw a line between focus and options. If you're too focused, if something bad happens, you don't have anywhere to go. Mm. You have too many options, you're never going to cross the finish line. So, like, where is it? so we started more on the option because we're testing that hypothesis. And then we learned and we moved on. And yeah. I still think that's better than a lot of thinking, 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 thinking the industry yeah. taught us well, yeah. you know what we needed to yeah. know
1: go bang into the walls right yeah get that, that the um explore exploit mm-hmm. cycle is, right. or focus opportunities yeah that's a that's a really interesting one i mean i this has been so interesting i think the i i still hold hope that the technology makes it into the gum industry and that we yeah. get everlasting gobstoppers right and you know permanent flavors of meal gum because <laughs> willy wonka is real and you invented it And we can't have it because you were acquired by a pharmaceutical company, but someday maybe um, when the patents expire, I, I think it's just so like, it's so interesting to go deep on some of the inflection points of a company, right? Like big funding rounds, big grants and acquisitions. And this has been a fascinating conversation. This is so like, you know, it's outside my normal internet world, but it's a fascinating technology and story. And thank you for teaching me. And I hope to hear many more stories of founders that you help through these inflection points in the future.
0: Hey, thank you so much.
1: I appreciate you hanging out with us today. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, you may also enjoy my earlier episodes with Andrew Wilkinson, the founder of Tiny, and Andrew Finn. Uh, they are both kind of similarly tactic driven, detail oriented founders and investors. And just like Maria, we'll share some things that you might not have heard before that can help you build a great business. Again, please check out Founders Podcast. And please check out givewell.org, both sponsors of this episode. For a free way to support the show, please leave a quick review or text this episode to a friend you think would enjoy it. I really appreciate you hanging out with us today. This is all about laughing and learning, building leverage, and compounding our faces off what our brains aren't evolved to comprehend is how much leverage is possible in modern society. There's a revolution going on, man. Uh, Go pay attention to it, get a part of it, get exposed to it. You're going to make money along the way. You're going to have fun. The call to adventure. This is the new form of leverage. Take a few quiet moments for yourself. Breathe deep and be well.